16, and I'm going to read all the way through chapter 20, verse 16. A little bit more of an extended passage, so I just ask your patience to stick with me as we consider the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. This is the word of God. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no man has hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, 
These last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now as we come to this gift, the gift of your word to us, your communication to us, your message to us. And would you help us not only as we come to the gift of your word, but as we come to the gift of the word, your son Jesus, as he teaches us and challenges us, would you help us to come with humility so that we can hear and be changed by what he says? Would you open our ears? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our hearts to receive what you have for us tonight? And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think verse 22 of chapter 19 is one of the most tragic verses in the Bible. This young man comes to Jesus and asks him for life. And isn't that what Jesus is all about? We've seen over and over again in this gospel that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of life into the world. And this young man comes to Jesus and asks for life. And Jesus says to him, here it is. And the young man turns sorrowful and walks away. Why? What would make a person faced with life choose to turn from it and walk towards death? Why would a person walk away from Jesus? And what about us? What about us this week? Will we walk towards Jesus? Or will we walk away from Him? That question is a question of economics. Right? These images and stories all throughout this text of wages and investment and money and wealth, Jesus here confronts us with the question of value. And our response to Him is determined by what we truly and most deeply value in our life. And so I want to come to these interactions that Jesus has with this young man and with his disciples, and I want to ask a few questions. First, we'll ask, what should we value? Then, why should we value it? And then finally, how are we able to value it? So first of all, what should we value? Jesus responds to the request of this young man for life by giving him two sets of instructions. 
He first of all says, if you want life, you need to come to the source of life, which is God, and you need to do what he says. And the young man says, can you be more specific? And then Jesus lists five of the Ten Commandments that we find in Exodus chapter 20. And then he summarizes those commandments with the command, the instruction to love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says, okay, got it. I've done that. From my youth, I've taken care of that. And some people are critical of this young man, and they think he's being arrogant. They think he is overestimating uh, his moral obedience to God. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think this young man has been faithful in the way that a committed Jewish man would have been faithful to seek to obey God's will as it was revealed in the Old Testament. And so the young man, sensing that there's something more, says, well, what else? And Jesus gives him the second set of instructions. He says, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And we need to think about the connections between the first set of instructions and the second set of instructions. We need to think about why did Jesus jump from the Ten Commandments, taken from Exodus chapter 20, to give everything away and join my movement. Why did Jesus make that shift? And I think the answer is found in the commandments that he leaves out in the first set of instructions. He lists the last part of the law, of the Ten Commandments. But he leaves out the very last commandment, which is you shall not covet. So having to do with desiring possessions. And then he leaves out the first four commandments, which all have to do with our worship relationship to God that we should worship Him and Him alone, that we should worship Him in the way that He tells us to worship Him, that He should be chief in our life. He should be first. He should be our greatest allegiance, our greatest desire. So what Jesus is doing is He's conceding obedience to the second half of the commandments and confronting failure in relationship to the first half of the commandments. This is why the young man is unable to walk away from his possessions and follow Jesus. Because his possessions own his heart. His wealth is what he truly worships. He may value morality, and he may want the benefits that morality can bring to him, but when Jesus exposes his value system, with this call, he reveals that his heart, his deepest desires, the controlling center of his life is given to wealth, is given to money and possessions rather than God. Because if, if it had been given to God, he would see Jesus for who he was and he would leave all to follow him. And with this call, Jesus illustrates the principle that he laid out in chapter 6 of this gospel. That you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And this is why, if you want to follow Jesus, he will always come after your money. 
because He wants your heart. He wants your deepest allegiance to be His, to be given to His kingdom. And money has a unique desire to grab our affections, to grab the attention of our lives. Because money plays in the arenas of fear and desire. Money preaches the gospel of the possibility of getting what you want and protecting yourself from what you don't want. And we hear that gospel and we worship. We give ourselves to the pursuit of having enough. Of having enough to provide for a comfortable present and a worry-free future. We give ourselves to the promise that we can get what we need and we can protect ourselves from what we don't want if we will pursue wealth. And our hearts become attached to it. And it owns our desires. It controls the way that we spend our time. It controls our emotions. It controls the way we think. It controls our relationships because of all that it promises us. And Jesus wants to displace the false gospel of money in your life. He wants you to look at the promises of the true gospel, of what He says, and for you to be able to turn from the gospel and the false promises of wealth and follow Him. Worship Him and have Him be the controlling center of who you are and what you do. And notice how Jesus, with this young man, moves from actions to affections. He moves from what do I do to what do you want. Jesus wants your deepest longings to be for Him. And please understand that money and wealth is such a subtle, subtle thing. And we can worship money by saving it or spending it. Okay? So sometimes we think about worshiping money in terms of consumption. That we can get all we want. But often money grabs our heart because of the promise of protection. That will keep us safe. Would you, would you hear that, Dave Ramsey acolytes in the room? Okay, if you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, he's a Christian man who gives great financial advice. Much wisdom. Much of it resonant with biblical wisdom. But you can obey Dave Ramsey and disobey Jesus. You can manage your money wisely and still be managed by your wealth. Be owned by your worry about wealth, about not having enough. So 
would you receive that gentle warning? There's so much good there, and I don't want to say that you should not take the principles and apply them. But you, would you please understand how quickly and easily even a good pursuit of getting out of debt can grab your heart, can own your life? Would you let Jesus displace money in your heart? And the way that he does that here, the call that he gives to this young man, it scares us, doesn't it? Sell everything and follow me. And, and when we're uncomfortable with things that Jesus says, uh, we often look for nuance, don't we? Nuance is our friend, and we notice, well, wait a second. Jesus says it to this young man, but he doesn't say it to me. And I love Robert Gundry's, he's a commentator, a New Testament commentator. I love his response to that. He says that Jesus did not command all of his followers to sell all their possession. Gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue that command. (laughs) So the response here is not to sit down at the table and negotiate with Jesus. And to say, okay, how much do you really want, Jesus? Is it 10%? Is it 20%? 25%? Can we, can we come to an agreement, Jesus, about how much you want? No. The response to this is to realize that Jesus wants it all and to let him take you to the place of financial discomfort and check your heart. Check your allegiances. It's like those, uh, those rides at amusement parks, the, the free fall one, free fall rides where you go up in a cage up to the top of a tower and there's a, there's a floor and the floor drops out and the cage drops down. What Jesus does with his call here is to take us to the top of the tower and we see at our feet is, is our wealth, it's our money, it's our possessions. And Jesus looks at us and he says, do you value me enough to let me take the floor? Do you value me enough to let me threaten your financial station in life? We have to let Jesus' words here disturb us. The discomfort that you feel is intentional because that is how he begins to expose our hearts and force us to ask questions about our worship, about our desires, about what controls our life and whether that is our possessions or it is him and his kingdom. Now why would we ever want to do that? Why would we ever want to value someone who threatens our financial well-being? Why would we value Jesus and his kingdom in the way that he calls us to value it? Well, Peter, I think, asks this question in very stark terms in verse 27. He hears all that Jesus has said, and he says, hey, look, Jesus, we've done it. We have given away everything and we have followed you. What do we get now? 
What do we get out of it? And this is one of those interactions where I would expect Jesus to look at Peter with a very disappointed look on his face and say, oh, Peter, that's a very inappropriate question. That's the wrong thing to ask Peter. You get to walk around and be homeless with me, and after I die, you get to die an embarrassing and a painful death. And Peter, that should be good enough for you. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? That's not the way he talks. He doesn't confront Peter. No, Jesus, he draws on the prophets of the Old Testament, and especially the prophet Daniel. And he says, fellas, when I am done, when I have been resurrected and I have returned, when I have finished this work that I have started, the world will be reborn. The language there that says a new world is the language of regeneration. The world will be reborn. I will have conquered all evil and injustice and sadness and tragedy. I will have removed all of that from God's creation and I will remake it. And Peter, when I do, you get to lead it with me. You will be a part of it. You will be a part of this incredible future. And not only that, but all of those who follow me, who value me and my kingdom more than their stuff, will be a part of this glory, will be a part of this future, will enjoy a prosperity that dwarfs any loss or suffering that they have dealt with in their life. We're a little uncomfortable with this sometimes because we get very sophisticated in our spirituality. And we think to want reward cheapens our love for Jesus. Okay, To want reward uh, cheapens our trust in Him. And we're concerned that, that that is not the way we should respond. We should just want Him and not think about the benefits that belonging to Him brings into our lives and our future. It's not the way Jesus talks. I don't want to be more spiritual than Jesus. Jesus is unafraid to motivate his followers, to motivate us with this glorious promise of the future. He is unafraid to sustain us in present loss and difficulty with a future prosperity. The Christian faith is unashamedly utopian in its view of the future. Jesus will make everything new. And those who belong to Him will belong to that future. That's our hope. Jesus gives it to us as motivation, as sustenance in those difficult questions that we have to face in following Him. Now, that creates a problem because Jesus gives us this great motivation. He gives us this great call, but then he says it's nearly impossible for you to do it. Okay? It's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And trust me, by comparison to the world and to people throughout history, everyone in this room is wealthy. And Jesus says it is impossible for you to be a part of this. 
So what do we do with that? Third question, how are we able to value Jesus and his kingdom? And I think Jesus deals with this problem in this story that opens chapter 20. It's a pretty straightforward story. Guy hires different workers at different times in the day, gets to the end of the day, and he pays them all the same. And the ones who have worked the whole day aren't happy about it. And what we need to notice about this story is that it is bracketed. It is surrounded by a repetition. It's the repetition of this statement about the first being last and the last being first. And if we're going to come to the place that we understand how we can value Jesus and his kingdom, we've got to understand the relationship between the saying and the story. So the point of the story we find in verses 13 to 15, uh, the response of the owner to these complaining workers. And he says to them, this money is all mine. And what I am putting in your hands is not a wage, but a gift. Your payment is not a result of equality or fairness. It is the result of generosity. Who would have understood that? Who would have seen the money in their hands, not as a wage, but as a gift? Not as an issue of fairness and equality and contractual agreements, but as generosity. It's the people at the end of the line, right? It's, It's the last ones. They are the ones who would have known that the reward coming to them was generosity, was not earned, but was given. And that's the relationship between the saying and the story, is that those who are last understand that. So, the reward of the kingdom of heaven will exceed any loss that we face in this life. But it is not the result of the losses and the suffering that we face in life. It is a result of the generosity of God revealed in Jesus Christ. It is a gift and not a wage. It is a result of what God has chosen to do through His Son, Jesus, so that the reward of the kingdom is not a result of our suffering, It is a result of Christ's suffering on our behalf on the cross. And we will come to value Jesus and His kingdom when we understand that. When we know that the benefits of His kingdom are not a result of what we have done, but a result of what He has done on our behalf. We will know the assurance and the motivation of future reward when we know that that reward is an unfair gift. You didn't earn it. Jesus earned it for you. And when you know that, then He becomes for us infinitely valuable. When we come on Sundays to get ready for worship, um, a lot of times I have to go downstairs and get some papers and stuff that I need for the day. And a lot of times my kids will come with me, and we'll be downstairs for a few minutes, and then we'll walk up the stairs 
uh, to this room. And JJ and Georgia love to turn that into a race to see who can get to the top of the stairs the fastest. And the other week, uh, they took off, and I took my very manly, leisurely pace. And uh, so they got to the top of the stairs first. And they were standing up there, and they were jumping up and down. They were laughing at me and making fun of me and saying, Oh, Daddy, we beat you, we beat you. And I said to them, Well, Jesus says the last will be first. (laughs) And they're like, No fair, that's not cool. It's really annoying to be a pastor's kid. Um, (laughs) And so we had that interaction, and I forgot about it. And so the next week, we go downstairs, and we get stuff, and we start to go up some stairs, and I get to the top of the stairs, and I look behind me, and J.J. is moving as slowly as he can. And I said, J.J., what are you doing? And he said, Daddy, you said the last will be first, and I want to be first. I want to win the race. I love J.J., but we have some work to do on biblical interpretation. Because <laughs> that is not the point of this saying. That is not the point of this story. The point of the story is that somewhere between the beginning of the line and the end of the line, there is a reversal from entitlement to gratitude. Jesus takes away the race. Jesus takes away that competitive anxiety that drives so many of us to prove that we are worth it. And with his words, with his teaching, and more than that, with his life, his death, his resurrection, he says, no, I'm worth it. Because of what I have done for you. And it is when we see his infinite worth that our grip is loosened on our possessions and on our wealth. We're able to drop our attachment to having enough we are able to walk towards Jesus and his kingdom rather than away from it. Let's pray.